Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be doing the conference today. Um, Truthy, can you start our first question? Ajay? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Yes, hi, Rebecca. So, uh, my wife went to India. She got her uh, uh, HMD approved on October 2021. She went to India on May, uh, May 2022. Uh, we are unable to find her job. She already had an F1. So she converted from F1 to H1. The change of status is approved. So we are unable to find the slots uh, till October or November in India. Then she mm-hmm. traveled to in Singapore and get her stamping done. So she had an EU visa for Singapore. Yes. Um, if Singapore is accepting third country national applications at the consulate, then and if she can find a visa appointment there, that's fine. Um, it's not absolutely required that you apply for the first visa, first H-1B visa in your home country. There was kind of an older rule that the first visa in that classification you had to apply in your home country, but that wasn't really being enforced. Uh, a lot of people pre-pandemic were going to Canada to get their first H-1B visa stamp. So it's possible that it's not really um, enforced anymore. The main issue is um, whether consulates are accepting third country national applications, basically, if they're accepting visa appointments from people who are not citizens or residents of that country. During the pandemic, most consulates limited appointment availability only to citizens or residents of that country. So I don't know in particular about Singapore, if they are still doing that. Um, If they allow her to, then yes, that's fine. How can we find that? It's usually on their website. If you start going through the appointment process on their website, if they are, they'll usually include some kind of announcement um, on the Singapore consulate website about third country nationals. Okay. okay. Uh, so you, uh, you said that there won't be any problem. And so can she schedule a Dropbox or do we need to do a regular appointment? If she is uh, eligible for the Dropbox, she can schedule for the Dropbox. Like I said, it's an issue of whether the Singapore consulate system will allow her to schedule it there. So there's no harm in trying. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Next question. Pradeep? Pradeep, can you please unmute? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. 
Yeah. Uh, thank you, Rebecca, for taking the time and answering the question. So uh, my question is quick. Um, so I have an uh, EB3 downgrade from October 2020, and uh, it was I-140 EADA pure approved uh, last year. And uh, in the month of May, May 31st, I refiled uh, EB2, um, and I got all my receipts. And um, even my EB3 has case has been moved from... Uh, NBC to, uh, sorry, Nebraska to NBC last week. So it, it's just more of an understanding question. So does it mean uh, that it would be going to a field office next? Or uh, like, what what is that something that I, because I don't have any other insight after, uh, you know, it's been moved to NBC, whether mm -hmm. the case officer is assigned. Just want to understand uh, the process uh, from that standpoint. What is your priority date? Is it current in both EB2 and 3? No, only current in, uh, no, it will be current starting July 1st in EB2. Okay. Uh, priority date is October 2014. Okay. So you said you filed a brand new I-485 in May of this year. That's correct. Based on the EB2. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that the I-485 that was filed in the EB-3 category was transferred from Nebraska to the Na National Benefit Center? Yes, that's correct. Last week it was transferred. Both both okay. EB-3 and EB-2 are in NBC right now. Did you by chance also interfile? Send no, an interfile I did not. request? Okay. I did not. Interesting, because actually our understanding from what USCIS has said is that I-485s will only be transferred to the National Benefits Center once they are eligible to be approved, meaning that, of course, the I-140 is to be approved, but the priority date also has to be current. So for your I-485 that was transferred from Nebraska, it sounds like the priority date is not yet current because that one is still in EB-3 only, and even next month, the priority date won't be current in EB-3. So... It may have been an error, actually, that the file was transferred to the National Benefit Center because it sounds like in EB-3, you're not eligible to be approved yet. Um, I'm assuming your I-485 that was filed in EB-2 was filed directly at the National Benefit Center, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. What I've seen, like, you know, from uh, a few other folks, right? So whenever there is a refile, their EB-3s are also getting transferred to the same location where their EB-2 yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, we are sus suspecting that sometimes USCIS, especially if you entered the A number on your I-485 form, because they use the A number to match up files, they may be moving the EB-3 I-485 to the National Benefits Center just so the same officer potentially has both files. Um, mm -hmm. So if that's the case, if they're just matching it up based on the A number in your case, then that I-485 transfer doesn't necessarily mean that your I-485 is about to get approved in EB-3. I would say there is a chance that it could be approved in EB-2, hopefully by September 30th, because USCIS has stated that they are aiming to approve any eligible I-485s that they received by early June 2022. So yours was filed by then. Um, so actually, I don't think your I-485 in the EB-3 category is really going to you know, there's no point in really checking the status of that because it can't be approved. So you kind of have to just depend on the I-485 and the EB-2 category, which, um, yeah, should be processing. Have you been scheduled for biometrics on it? Oh, my biometrics were reused from okay. uh, previous. Yeah. 
Okay. So and yeah, yeah, I don't think there's anything much you can do right now besides wait and hope that the second I-485 gets approved by September. Okay. So as the receiving date of EB2 is a little late, like May 31st, so do you think interfiling, now that EB3 is also at NBC, right, interfiling would help a little bit? Um, um it's up to you. It, it's hard to say because you already have one in EV2 and UCS has said that they plan to process, you know, they, they're aiming to process any that were received by early June. Um, okay. So interfiling the previously filed one may not make that much difference. Um, that Then you'll just end up with two I-485s in the EV2 category. Um, mm -hmm. I would say it wouldn't really hurt, but I don't know how much it will help. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for the detailed answer. Sure. Next question. Mohammed. Hi, Ramika. Uh, Hi. Thanks for giving me opportunity to ask a question. Uh, so basically, my question is, um, I'm my I-140 is approved and I'm on H-1B visa. Um, that's already expired. So my friends have found a way, like, I mean, they are going to Mexico by land and they are getting the visa stamp. And while they're in Mexico, right, I mean, the, they are getting G2, G221 and Mexico consulate are giving them the passport back. So what they're doing is they are traveling by land and they're crossing the border by automatic revalidation and they're coming to US. And then when they're getting called back from um, US consulate in Mexico, they are going back and getting the visa stamp. So is that legal? Is that still legal in the US while they're, G221 is under processing or that is not recommended at all, you know? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard of that happening. Um, actually, under for the automatic revalidation, our understanding is that the policy is that you can only use automatic revalidation to enter the U.S. with an expired visa when you haven't been refused a visa at the consulate. So basically automatic revalidation is not supposed to be a backup for getting back into the U.S. if the consulate, if you try to get a, con a visa from the consulate and they didn't issue it, which a 221G technically is considered a refusal. Until they actually approve it, the 221G is considered a refusal of the visa. So actually, I don't think they should have been able to re-enter the U.S. using automatic revalidation. If they were able to, I would say CBP probably made a mistake and that they actually shouldn't have been readmitted to the U.S. Uh, under automatic revalidation when they had a 221G pending at the consulate. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it as a strategy because it's not supposed to work. Okay. Um, sorry, I think you're muted, but um, yeah, we can go on to the next question, Shruti. Okay. Ram? Hello. So, my simple question. We filed for our I-485 in April, but we did not apply for uh, travel document or EAD. So, it's just an I-485. Can we okay. request an expedited processing for just the 485? So far, no. Um, there isn't any mechanism that 
allows to request an expedited I-485 that we know of right now. The processing times that USCIS has posted on their website are kind of deliberately very long so that if you even try to put in a case inquiry before that 32 and a half months or whatever is posted, it won't even let you enter an inquiry because it's according to the website within the normal processing time. Um, in the situation of kind of a true humanitarian crisis of where it's sort of a life or death situation, you can potentially try to get assistance through, I would say, your congressman's office, through the congressional liaison in your local representative's office. They can sometimes reach out to USCIS, but I would say it has to be a pretty extreme case. Um, usually just sort of the, the need for um, kind of routine travel is not really enough to raise it to that level. I mean, we just uh, saw that a couple of our colleagues and some other health workers who worked with us got it approved, but they all had uh, EAD or, you know, advanced parole yes. office. In our yes. case, we have a special situation with our kids' health, that's why. And But we just wanted to know before we can even request. That's what. Yeah, as far as I, there's no official mechanism for an I-485 expedite, like I said, but if it's a pending EAD and advanced parole application, technically there is officially an expedite request available for I-765 applications for EADs if you are working in a, in a healthcare field. So officially there is an expedite request that you can make for an EAD based on being a member of the healthcare professions. But um, so if there is the need for an expedited EAD. It sounds like you haven't filed the I-765, but you can still do so now. Um, you can file for the I-765 at any time while the I-485 is pending. And if you get that submitted, then you can make the expedite request, I would say, along with that I-765 if you're a member of the healthcare profession. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. Next question. Ashish. Uh, hi. So uh, my employer has filed uh, H1 and H4 extension, but he hasn't uh, filed for the H4 EAD. I have an I-140 approved. Uh, we just got the receipt notice. Uh, uh, are we eligible to file for EAD with the receipt notice, or should we wait for the H1 or H4 approval? Yeah, you don't need to wait for the approval. You can apply for the um, EAD based on the receipt notice. So um, you would just file a kind of a standalone I-765 application and include the receipt notices of the pending H-1B and H-4 applications. Also include the most recent approval notices for both of you, your three most recent pay stubs, your I-140 approval notice, um, and your marriage certificate. And with those, you can um, file for the EAD so it can because the EAD will still take probably at least four to six months at this point. Um, you know, filing it now will give it some a head start rather than waiting for the approval to file. So we don't have to wait till the approval, right? For the no, you don't. Yeah, you can file based on the pending H4 and H1B extensions. And we have a plan to go for stamping. Will that uh, lead to uh, receiving any RFP? 
It shouldn't. Um, so you can travel while the extensions are pending and while the I-765 is pending. Um, the only thing is that if you come back before the I-539 and I-765 are approved, it could result in an I-94 mismatch, um, which isn't a problem for the status or the work authorization, but it can lead to trouble when you're trying to renew your driver's license because you'll have a new I-94 number from re-entry that doesn't match the I-94 number now on the approval notice. Um, so you might need to like make a quick trip outside the country to fix that. But um, besides that, you can, it's fine to travel while the extensions are pending. Okay, sure, okay. thank you. Sure, next question. Amit. Hey, Rebecca, uh, I have a look like a one-off situation, so I'll, I'll explain. So on uh, first week of June, I filed a 485 for me and my family, but I used the credit card as authorized payment. After a week, they, they swiped two card, but the third one got declined because of the same credit card by same merchant. The credit card uh, company declined it, and immediately okay. they returned the other two payment also. That all happens within 30 seconds. I discussed with USICS immediately and they said, in all probability, your case is reject. That's why your money is mm -hmm. back. And I joined the Rahul's call also. And Rahul also suggested, if you got your money back, simply refile. So yeah. that's what I did. I, I created another three set of application and filed it back with the personal check this time. Okay. This time it went to Chicago Logbox. Uh, it is just one week, so I haven't heard back anything from them yet. Yes, but so this is two things. But yesterday, my credit card again got swiped two times from the Phoenix lockbox. And I got my rejection notice only for me, not for my wife and my kid. So I'm in puzzle. what is happening. I'm the primary applicant. I got my rejection notice with my document. And suddenly after 15 days, credit card got swiped again by mm -hmm. USICS Phoenix lockbox. Haven't heard anything from Chicago where my another set of application is pending. Okay. Um, okay, so you're the principal applicant and your mm -hmm. application was the one that was rejected out of the three on your first attempt that's, to file? Okay. That's right. Um, and they did charge the fees for your wife and child's applications on the credit card recently? They charged again yesterday. The first mm -hmm. time when they charged, they returned immediately. So I didn't know yeah. which one got through, which one went not. Mm -hmm. But yesterday, suddenly two credit card transactions happened. Okay. Yeah, I'm not really sure why they tried to process it again. It sounds like the first time when all three were rejected, that's what is supposed to happen. Basically, if one of the payments doesn't go through, because you're the principal applicant, technically your wife and child can't file theirs if yours has not been right. filed. So right. they so should have rejected they return both the amount. First time yeah. they return both the money. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they should have rejected all three from that. And then, you know, when you refiled the new set with the personal checks, then that kind of fixes it. Um, yeah, at this point, the the second attempt of filing all three together with the personal checks should still be fine. If those checks, um, you know, go through smoothly, then those will be considered filed and you should get receipt notices for those three from the second attempt. With the first attempt, your wife and daughter or your child's applications, I think eventually USCIS will also reject those because at a certain point they'll notice that 
their derivative applications based on a principal application that was rejected. So yeah. it sounds so, like for some reason they didn't notice that and tried to accept them again, but they right. shouldn't have. So, so Rebecca, we are we are believing because the two applications and I'm believing it's not rejected. I don't have any evidence, neither I got so credit card transaction happened, but I didn't get any alert of receipt or anything. So I don't know whether it is rejected or not rejected. I don't have any evidence. So my main question was not about money. I was worrying is the Chicago new application is conflicting with this or that no. will still go through? Yeah, like I said, no. the Chicago application should be fine. If those personal checks were fine and every, all the signatures are there, the Chicago applications, I believe, should be fine. They shouldn't be so interfering. In worst case scenario, my derivative will have two set of applications running at the same time unless they find yes. it and revoke. Okay. And yeah, I think eventually they will revoke the first applications for your family because they'll notice at some point that they were supposed to be based on a principal applicants and that principal applicants got rejected. So I think eventually those first two for your family will also be rejected. But mm. at this point, I don't know that there's anything you can do to to trigger that besides sending in a withdrawal notice yourself, but you haven't even gotten receipt notices, right? For those first two? No, okay. I didn't get anything for yeah. those two. And the surprising thing was they say they don't use credit card second time. So I was puzzled. Why, why will they use it after 15 days? Yeah, and I think that was a mistake by someone in the mailroom, and okay. they should, they should discover the mistake because when they charge it that means they have put it in process and they're processing mm -hmm. it at a certain point they'll see that these are derivative applications that are not based on anything and so eventually yeah, okay. they'll get rejected again hopefully they will refund the charges to your credit card because they shouldn't have charged them in the first place but um i can't say really how long that may take because it's kind of an unusual situation but i would say you're the second attempt the applications filed with Chicago should be fine. They won't be affected by whatever they're doing in Phoenix. Okay. And one small thing only when I got my reception notice yesterday only, they send one a pamphlet kind of uh, blue color paper which says mm -hmm. you if you are refiling, keep it in the top. I mean there's no information. It is a it's, plain paper. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you can kind of disregard that since you already refiled okay. a, a second. Yeah, I Oh, sorry, I think you're muted, but um, I guess, Shruti, are you going to another question? Can I pick a uh, next person? Yeah, go ahead. Advice? Yeah, hi. Uh, yes. Uh, hi, go ahead. Hey, uh, right here. Should I go, go or? Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, uh, my question was related to the H1B visa for my dependents. Actually, I was part of employer A. So the valid uh, visa is stamped until December 2022. And I now I moved to an employer B, mm -hmm. where I filed H1B and H4, and uh, both of them got approved until 2025. Okay. Now the thing is, uh, dependents travel to India, and uh, they have a valid stamped visa until December 2022. 22, December 2022. So do they have any concern to travel back or should I go for a new appointment to get stamped with new I-7? No, that's fine. The visa stamps are not company specific. So as long as they are traveling um, 
while that visa stamp is still valid, it hasn't expired yet. So as long as they're coming back before December 2022, they can use that same visa stamp without having to go to the consulate and you don't need to go to the consulate either. Um, basically, they'll just need to come in with the H-4 visa that's valid until December 2022. They should also carry um, a copy of your most recent I-797 approval notice for the transfer, the one that's valid until 2025. Okay. Also, their um, marriage and birth certificates, um, maybe like your three most recent pay stubs, just to confirm that you're still working for the company. Um, mm. Yeah, but that's all they would need. They don't need to visit the consulate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's all I have. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of sure. you. Next questions? I Yeah, hi. Uh, once you travel back from uh, Mexico on automatic revalidation, is the I-131 application abandoned by uh, automatically or do they consider? Because I applied for expedite uh, EAD and AP processing through the senator and they approved my EAD, but uh, for advanced parole, they send a RFE that uh, you left the country and uh, I, I was under the confusion that you can come back without any of the, from Mexico on automatic revalidation without anything being affected. Uh, yeah. Is there any loophole or anything that can be argued that it should not be abandoned? <laughs> Unfortunately, probably not. So that, the I-131 travel while the I-131 is pending, that kind of policy has been sort of in flux actually the past couple of years. So it you like pre-Trump administration actually, it used to be that you could travel while the I-131 was pending, there was no problem. Then during the Trump administration, all of a sudden without warning, they started denying I-131 applications if you departed the US while it was pending. Um, and that was happening consistently under the Trump administration. Then starting in 2020 with the new administration, I would say it was not always happening. USCIS didn't make any official announcement that that's no longer our policy, but in practice, I would say we started hearing about people who traveled internationally and successfully came back and the I-131 continued to process. They still got the advanced parole later. So just anecdotally, we heard some of those stories, um, but sometimes we also heard of I-131s being denied if you left the country while it was pending. So it seems to be sort of 50-50 right now. We can't really tell when USCIS is going to deny it, but technically, I think if they've sent you an RFE about it, then most likely whoever is processing your I-131 most likely isn't. They're going with the policy of denying the I-131 if you've left the US. Um, if you are going and coming back in like a valid H-1B or L-1 status, something like that, the I-485 is not considered abandoned. So the I-485 is still safe. If you left in a valid status, came back in a valid yeah, status. Yeah, I left in H H-1 status and came back on automatic revalidation. Yeah. in February so yeah that's so that's fine for your i-485 your i-485 is not affected but I think they can they can technically still deny your i-131 um so probably there isn't much you can do in this RFE response besides unless there's some kind of extraordinary circumstance that you can try to argue and just ask for discretion um but 
to be safe, I would probably just, even before you get a decision on this current I-131, go ahead and file a new I-131 just to get that processing in case this one is denied. You can still try responding to the RFE and just ask for their discretion to not deny it, but um, I would probably also go ahead and refile it back up. I-131 to be and I would presume it will go back in the bottom of the file, the new I-131. Yeah, it'll kind of start from the beginning again. That's yeah. All right. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Next question. Welcome. Hey, Rebecca. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for taking up my call. Uh, uh, my question here is, uh, my priority date is 2011, and I'm current in both EB2 and EB3, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And my spouse, uh, who is the primary applicant, uh, has got his green card already. Okay. In my case, uh, I'm a dependent on him, but uh, unfortunately, when I applied my 485 in December of 2020, my H-4 was not approved. So while applying for 485, I just put the uh, uh, notice that I applied for my uh, uh, H-4. So uh, I got a NOID from USCIS saying that uh, my legal status uh, is not uh, available uh, from September of 2020. Uh, it's because of COVID that uh, uh, the H-4 and H-4 EADs uh, have been delayed. And I got my uh, H-4 and H-4 EAD after uh, eight months that I applied. That is the reason I could not put the actual approval uh, for my H-4. Okay. I could just put the notice. So in the NOID, they referred, all they said was uh, they wanted my legal status from mm -hmm. uh, 2020 of November till date, which uh, I have already responded immediately and sent them uh, the day I received uh, the NOID. Uh -huh. uh, uh, I mean, uh, it has been more than three weeks uh, and I did not hear back from uh, USCIS okay. yet. Okay, so um, that I-539 that was pending in December 2020 at the time you filed the I-485, that I-539 mm -hmm. H4, it eventually got approved, right? Right, right. Okay. Yes. I got my EAD and advanced parole as well in the month of March of 2022. Uh, okay. Everything was going quite well and my spouse got his green card, but uh, the NOID is for me and uh, my daughter, who is... Okay. Uh, she was also who on got H4, the same. The same yes, she, she is yeah. also in the same situation, right? Okay. Um, yeah, it should be fine. Um, so... Yeah, USCIS does need to confirm that basically your I-539 eventually got approved um, mm -hmm. and that you were in valid status from the time the I-45 was filed until now. So right. I guess that's why they sent the NOID. So as long as you sent in kind of the proof of that, which would be the I-539 approval notice for you and your daughter and any other documents to show you were in status. Um, yes, since it was I... It was I-797, sorry to approval. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so that should be fine. If you provided all of those, then the I-485 for you and your daughter should eventually get approved. 
Um, but because there was that extra thing that they needed to ask for, um, it doesn't surprise me too much that it's taking longer for your applications to be processed, even after your husband's has already been approved. So you mentioned it's been three weeks. Has that been three weeks since your husband's green card got approved or three weeks since yes. you responded to the NOI? No, my husband's got approved a month ago, uh, but okay. uh, we got our NOIDs after my husband's got his green okay. card. Okay. And my question here is, why is it an NOID? Why is it not an RFE? Uh, is it something that uh, that is bothering me too much and getting no response uh, uh, from the US? Fine. Yeah, I think it should be fine. Um, an NOID is, the difference between an NOID and an RFE is, they're, it's kind of, they're pretty similar, um, I would say. I'm not actually sure why they sent it as an NOID rather than an RFE, um, but I wouldn't put too much weight in that. As long as you did provide all the evidence to show you were in status, like the H-4 extensions eventually got approved and you've been in status since then, it should be fine. Um, and uh, even in situations actually where there isn't an additional request for documents, for some reason we've seen that families who file all at the same time, not everyone is getting the approvals at the same time for some reason, and that is pretty common. Um, sometimes it's taken like four to six months um, for the rest of the families to get approved after the principal applicant got their green card. So we've seen that in some cases where there wasn't even, you know, additional evidence being asked for. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything to worry about in your situation as long as my, my only concern at this point is Rebecca, my daughter is going to college this fall, uh, the, the coming August. So, uh, I mean, I'm hundred percent sure because there is no flaws seen from my side, uh, uh, and the primary applicant getting the green card being rejected for my case. But I, I, I uh, having said that, I, I'm a little concerned uh, having not uh, heard from them, even after sending the immediate day I got the NOID, I have, I, I have mailed in, uh, I have FedExed uh, overnight uh, my documents. Uh, but my main concern is uh, what if, uh, I mean, I, I'm absolutely uh, worried about my daughter getting into the fall because I'll be out of status and uh, what I'm hearing is once my 485 is rejected, I have to leave the country. Is that is that correct? Have you and your daughter, well, yeah, technically, be, yeah, right now, you and your daughter's authorized status in the U.S. is based on the pending I-485s. Um, right. So if for some reason the I-485s get denied, then you would both be immediately out of status and would need to potentially depart the U.S. Um, though, even though my H-4 and H-4EAD are valid till 2023? So now that your husband's H, uh, your husband's H1. green card has been approved, the H-1B okay. is no longer valid, which means the H-4 and EAD are no longer valid. So oh. actually the H-4 and EAD won't really act as a backup anymore. It's just the I-485s that are pending that will keep you in status. Um, have you, by chance, ever been in H-1B status yourself? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Okay. I'm always a dependent uh, on my husband, so I have never been on h one Yeah, then, um, yeah, there won't really be kind of a backup visa status. I would say that you can 
get into at this time. I would say the only kind of if worst case scenario for some reason, if the I-45 applications are denied, most likely you would both need to depart the US pretty quickly and your husband can then sponsor both of you through the family-based process. He can file for both of you as the um, spouse and dependent child of a green card holder. So that would then be through the family-based process where he would file an I-130 for both of you and then potentially go through consular processing. That would be the worst case scenario if the I-485s get denied. But like I said, if you did provide all the evidence that you needed, it's it doesn't surprise me at all that it's been three weeks without hearing from them. Um, it, I mean, usually, is there any time frame that they got to respond to these NOIDs or no, RFEs? at all. Um, I mean, there used to be sort of a 60-day kind of typical response period, but they have been routinely going past that also. So um, even if it ends up being three to four months without hearing from them, that wouldn't surprise me either, actually. So I don't think there is anything to worry about right now. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, as I said, uh, the only concern is um, she has to go to college this fall. That's only yeah. bothering me because... I would still have her go to college. I mean, I wouldn't wait for the I-45 approval to send her to school. There's no okay. reason to postpone her college right now because it should eventually get approved. Okay, okay. okay. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, okay, sorry. We'll need to end the conference here for today. Um, the next one will be tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Central. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.